Welcome everyone to the Spectrum of Health podcast. I'm Dr. Christine Schaffner, and today we're going to be talking about healing ourselves, biofield science, and the future of health with Dr. Shamini Jane. Dr. Shamini Jane is a clinical psychologist, scientist, and social entrepreneur. She's the founder and CEO of the Consciousness and Healing Initiative, CHI, a collaborative accelerator that forwards the science and practice of healing. She also serves as an adjunct faculty at UC San Diego. Dr. Jane obtained her BA in Neuroscience and Behavior from Columbia University and her PhD degree from the SDSU UC San Diego Joint Doctoral Program in Clinical Psychology with a research focus in psychoneuroimmunology. Her award-winning research has been featured in major news outlets, including Time and CNN. Dr. Jane is an international keynote speaker and teacher. She integrates her background in clinical psychology, psychoneuroimmunology, Jane's spiritual wisdom, and the healing arts to teach others how they can heal themselves and live joyful, fulfilling lives. She teaches and lectures on the science and practice of healing regularly at major retreat centers, conferences, and corporations. Her book, Healing Ourselves, Biofield Science and the Future of Health, is available at booksellers worldwide. I hope you enjoyed this podcast with Dr. Shaman and Jane. Well, welcome, Dr. Jane. It's really an honor to have you on the podcast. It's great to be here, Christine. Thanks so much for inviting me. Well, I feel like I've um, had these conversations with you before. I've listened to your work and many of my audience knows that I'm very passionate about biofield science. And I love the the topic and the title of our conversation. When I've done talks myself, I feel like really this is the future of medicine, how we can integrate this concept and this understanding into mainstream integrative, alternative, and even conventional medicine. So many people may already know you, but might be new to your work um, who are listening. And so how did you become passionate about the biofield? It's a great question. Honestly, it came from my singing because I just always loved to sing since I can remember. And so from a very young age, I was sort of witnessing this power of vibration in my body. And of course, growing up in the East Indian Jan spiritual tradition, being familiar with mantra meditation and things like that, I thought, wow, sound is so powerful. So it actually started with sound and with music and the power of sound in my body. And I really started exploring it from there. So when I did my undergraduate at Columbia, I told my teachers that I was going to study music and its effects on healing. I was really interested in that. But I noticed, especially at that time in the early 90s, people weren't really exploring the body as a system. We were really exploring, you know, I I did my undergraduate work in neuroscience and behavior. And so there's a lot of focus on the brain, a lot of excitement about the brain, a lot of new things we were learning back in the early 90s about the brain, but also a lot of things we didn't know. And it became pretty clear to me that just studying sound or vibration from a purely neuroscience perspective without integrating the entire body wasn't going to take us very far. But it was really when I had my first Reiki session, and I talk about this in my book, that experience, that I was really just floored because here was a vibration that I could feel in my body that was connected with a sense of emotion, emotional blocks, thinking. And I noticed that when I engaged and observed what was happening, you know, at the time, the Reiki practitioner wasn't talking to me. She just had her hands on me. And I noticed these energy blocks, actually. And then I noticed my mental and emotional state was I was tuning into those blocks. And as I sort of resolved for myself what those blocks were about and sort of made a resolution to myself, in this case, it had to do with not giving away my power, unnecessarily giving away my power. When I realized that, I noticed this shift in energy. And the scientist in me, you know, of course, like as a person, I was like, wow, that was really powerful. As a scientist, I was like, this is really neat. And wow, what an incredible tool this could be 
to study the nature of vibration in our entire body mind. And I wonder if this could be really useful for patients. So this was when I was in my early 20s, kind of in between undergraduate and graduate school, and I was desperately looking for someone to study with that didn't think I was totally crazy, right? Because here I'm coming from an Ivy League school, you know, really well trained. And yet these ideas of consciousness and the biofield were not at all mainstream. So even finding mentorship, you know, from, from people it, at established universities who could train me properly as a scientist and still be open to these ideas of how do we study the biofield, you know, I'm really grateful that I had the opportunity to work with mentors like that. They're not easy to find. So that's a little bit of my journey, you know, and that's what started me out in doing my own randomized controlled trials, examining healing for things like cancer-related fatigue and post-traumatic stress disorder and other things. And what I learned from that, Christine, as I was going through my journey of exploring the science of healing was that I was meeting tenured professors at major universities across the globe, really, you know, getting big multi-million dollar NIH grants for their work in mind-body psychoneuroimmunology, which is what I did my PhD work in, you know, related fields, neuroscience. But they were kind of doing research in biofield science in the closet, and they didn't feel like they could talk to many people about it. And when they did have the opportunity and a little bit of funding to move forward with the study, they would find that it was really hard to publish the studies. And, you know, I, I detail a lot of this in my book because I want to tell the journey of not just myself, but so many scientists in this field that are continuing to uncover these amazing discoveries with the biofield. But it's not yet mainstream. And we, you know, there's a big million dollar question of why is it? Why is it so threatening for us to talk about this work in the mainstream world? But all of that led me to, to actually realize how important it is for us to gather as a community and share our findings. So the journey for me started off myself, you know, my own observation of vibration in my body, my own experiences, and then my own research into now establishing a nonprofit collaborative accelerator called the Consciousness and Healing Initiative, where we bring together the best of science, the best of practice. We bring together communities of scientists to share their work, empower each other, forward the field. And we also bring together healing practitioners that are doing the same thing. So it's this really beautiful collaborative. And I feel really passionate about that because I do believe that as we all come together and share our knowledge and wisdom as a community around the biofield, that's really what it's going to take for us to bring this out more into the mainstream. And of course, the book is one way, you know, as you know, many of our wonderful colleagues have written wonderful books on the biofield. You know, Jim Oshman comes to mind. He's a pioneer. His book, Energy Medicine, The Scientific Basis is just absolutely wonderful. And before that, of course, there was Dr. Benner and, you know, and, and so many, so many folks, even Richard Gerber back in the day with vibrational medicine. There have been a lot of people, Claude Swanson's another one, you know, there's so many folks that have been exploring the biofield in all these different ways. So what's interesting about this is now we have this opportunity, just like we did with mindfulness, where mindfulness was used to be this really weird thing that nobody knew or understood. And now it's sort of mainstream. And, and we see that possibility now for the biofield. And the last thing I'll say about this is I think the reason for that is the most exciting work for me about the biofield is it's really teaching us how deeply we connect and how deeply we heal. And then nothing could be more important for us to discover right now in my view. Wow. Well, I'm so grateful for your journey and everything it's led you to and the work that you continue to, you know, pioneer. And as we reflect on biofield science, it's almost this 
renaissance, right? It's this ancient wisdom and knowledge. It's always how we've been made to operate and made to heal and made to have an awareness of our body. But for lots of different reasons, right? It's been in the closet or not mainstream yet. And so I think it's just so incredible that you're bringing this out. And I think as we'll talk about through our journey in the podcast today, how this is really such an opportune time to bring this awareness. And I think in some ways too, Shamini, I don't know if you feel this, there's almost a tipping point because we have this sense um, with modern technology and the flip side, we know innovation, but also the health impact of that, but this awareness that we operate in fields of information and energy, right? We have this understanding of Wi-Fi and cell phones. And so I feel like even though for whatever that's worth, there's this mainstream framework that we we can not, it doesn't have to be such a leap to understand that, you know, we're swimming in a sea of um a field of information and energy around us. So it's it's super exciting. And I love the books that you mentioned. I have um, energy medicine on my Kindle. And I'm always, when I do talks, referencing Dr. Oshman's work. And I just love his framework and what he's done for this this field. And as we're talking, I'm just jumped to your story, but I, I'm making a big assumption because of my community, thinking that they probably understand what we're talking about with the biofield. But maybe just starting there, you know, your definition of what the biofield is. You bet. So the simple definition for me of the biofield is that they're fields of energy and information that connect us and heal us. But just because I know many of your listeners are very sophisticated, you know, I want to say that the term biofield, as you mentioned, is kind of a newer term coined by Western scientists to describe in some ways what has been known as an age-old phenomenon. So when scientists and health practitioners met at the NIH in the 90s, they coined the term biofield that was led, you know, in large degree by Beverly Rubick, who I know you know as well, wonderful woman who is on our scientific advisory council pioneer in this field. They described the biofield as a massless field, not necessarily electromagnetic, that guides the homeodynamic functioning of a living organism. Lots of words, <laughs> lots of sciencey words, but essentially what that means is that the biofield can be looked at at levels of scale. That is, we can look at the biofield of a cell and we do that. We actually know from some of the regenerative medicine work that's going on, you know, led by Dr. Levin at Tufts University, that we can manipulate the biofield of a cell. That is, we can manipulate voltage gradients across cell membranes and grow new tissue. They've actually done this with neurons. So we can work with the biofield in that way and look at the biofield of cells, cell-cell communication. But we can look at our own biofields too. We are bioelectromagnetic beings. I know you know that. Even our bones are piezoelectric. We give off electromagnetic information. We already know that when we look at the EKG or the EEG, it tells us something important about our organ health and even our state of consciousness to a degree. So that's not controversial. We can look at biophotons emitted off the body. We know that when we look at biophotons, even that are emitted from cells, it tells us something important about our state of inflammation. So we can look at the biofield of a person, but we can also look at the biofield of the earth. And what I think is really cool is when we start looking at these interactions of the biofield, for example, our biofield with the earth's biofield. And this is where all the grounding research comes in. That's really fun, where most of this research, as you might know, has been done with, I like to call it apparatus, you know, with, with devices, with things. So things like grounding mats, grounding things that you would actually plug into the wall. So just like we plug in our phones to charge them, the supposition here is you plug yourself into the earth and you do this electrically. So this is the way it's been studied so far. 
lay on a grounding mat for a certain amount of time, you know, over a certain amount of days or weeks. And, you know, scientists look to see what the effects are. And so far, the data across several different studies are showing that grounding bioenergetically with the earth in this way improves our autonomic nervous system functioning. That is, it seems to increase our parasympathetic nervous system functioning, that rest and digest aspect of, of our body. It has impact on our immunity. It certainly seems to have impact on our psychological functioning, including things like anxiety, stress, depression. So that's really interesting. We can explore the biofield in all these ways. And then, of course, the way I've explored it and lots of my colleagues have is to look at healing approaches, which have been around for millennia. And there are many modern approaches, as you know, things like healing touch, Reiki, therapeutic touch, pranic healing, laying on of hands. So that's where I focused a lot of my research in the randomized control trials to really look at this because it does sort of fly in the face of the materialist bound science that dominates our culture, right? Because now there's no stretching, there's no needle, there's no drug, there's no herb, there's just energy. And we can't even measure that energy very well directly off of healers. We can measure some emanations of it. People have done that, but it's still the great mystery. And yet what we learn from that data, and there are over 400 clinical trials of biofield therapies, these subtle energy therapies that are peer-reviewed published studies, and over 125 of them are randomized control trials. Across the board, when I did my review, and it's been some years, I really want to update this review, we found that biofield therapies overall were strongly, showed strong evidence for reducing pain in a number of populations reducing anxiety in hospitalized populations. We've seen impacts on cancer. You know, if you're interested, we can dive into a couple of really fabulous studies that have been done with cancer, both mine and other colleagues, and some cutting edge work that's being done right now at MD Anderson Cancer Center. So we're seeing these effects basically all the way down to the physiological level. And we're seeing this not just in human studies, but in cell studies, in animal studies. It's a really real effect with these carefully controlled studies that are showing us how powerful our energy is for healing, whether it's healing ourselves or facilitating healing in someone else. Mm -hmm. It's so beautiful. And I'm so passionate about understanding this as well, so I can help my patients and the lens that I look at as patients who struggle with what we call like a complex chronic illness. So when we think about that, it's they've been on a long, hard journey. There's a lot of things to correct. Their biochemistry is all out of balance and it can feel really heavy and hard in a journey, right? And what I've been really passionate about is how do we bring in these concepts that really are in the realm of what I would say biophysics to really help to really accelerate the healing process. And I think that we just miss this whole opportunity in medicine if we not don't acknowledge this aspect of healing, because while there's still a lot of unknowns, there's still this, you know, huge body of evidence that shows that when we combine these things, you know, the results speak for themselves. And so maybe just speaking to those, Shamani, a few, like you said, you were sharing, you know, we could talk about the placebo effect, of course, and even what that phenomenon is, but also, yeah, what you're seeing with cancer research when we look at biofield therapies combined with cancer therapy. You bet. So first, let's be very clear mm-hmm. that there are forces at work that continue to help to help us fall into polarized dualistic thinking. Mm-hmm. Okay. And to me, that's just so, you know, 20th century. (laughs) 
<laughs> so um, we know that everything is an interconnected system. Mm-hmm. So it's not an either or. I don't have to, and I say this in the beginning of my book, just because I believe or I want to explore the world of the biofield and energy doesn't mean that I'm anti-vax or I'm anti-medicine or I'm anti-this. I get to choose my healing trajectory. I get to choose it on the mental, emotional, spiritual, energetic, and physical level. I get to choose my medicine and how I work with my medicine. And it all can work together and it does work together. So some examples, as you mentioned, the study that I did really did sort of look at the repercussions in a way. How could we deal with some of the repercussions of what happens during cancer and to some degree cancer treatments as we know them? So we looked at the effects of a hands-on healing intervention for fatigued breast cancer survivors. And these were women, I mean, Christine, I know that you do a lot of work with patients. You're probably well aware that cancer-related fatigue is the number one complaint, not just among cancer patients, but survivors. There's data to suggest that over a third of patients well after treatment are suffering from really debilitating levels of fatigue. They just don't have the energy to even engage in the self-care practices they used to, like exercise and meditation and these things that we know help us, right? So they're pooped out. They're really exhausted. And the question is, why does that happen to some people and what can we do about it? And allopathic medicine hasn't really come up with a solution for that. So from a holistic perspective, as you know, it's sort of a no-brainer. Well, you know, they just went through a lot. They went through the diagnosis. They went through the adjustment to the diagnosis, the surgeries, the chemo, the radiation. And so from that vital energy perspective, it's that their, their vital energy is depleted. So we want to improve the vital energy flow in their body, reduce any toxicities that might have been there from the treatments that may have saved their life, right? Mm-hmm. So these things can work together. Anyway, what we found, and it was a randomized placebo-controlled trial. It's published in a really wonderful mainstream journal called Cancer. So you can find it there, and you can find it on my website as well. I was really interested in this placebo question, just really, truly scientifically interested in it. Could this all be explained by what we know of placebo factors? Because those are really rich, and I dive into this really deeply in my book too. Placebo is a wonderful thing, and we have described it all wrongly. (laughs) It's really (laughs) telling us about the power of our consciousness to heal. That's really what it's telling us because we see placebo effects in everything, in drugs, in surgery, in integrative health, health. I mean, because it's just natural healing elements that we can actually leverage and use in every healing encounter. But still, they're so powerful. And as you know, the skeptics will say, well, energy, you guys are just saying energy. It's really just all these placebo elements, expectation, conditioning, ritual, relationship. These are all elements of what we call the placebo effect. So what we found, interestingly, was that the women who actually got what we call the real energy healing, they were working with an energy healer who was well you know, trained and worked with patients for many years. We had four of these practitioners. And we also had four what we called mock practitioners who just performed touch. They didn't practice yoga, meditation, energy healing. They were skeptical scientists. We compared them and then we had a weightless control group. And what we found was that for the women who were receiving the actual energy healing, they dropped down to levels of fatigue of a person that you would see walking down the street in like one month, eight sessions, two sessions a week. Their clinical response was incredible. And of course, statistically significant as well. The women in the touch alone or placebo group, of course, they didn't know what treatment they were getting. They just knew that they were getting some kind of touch treatment. They dropped too, significantly so, but about to what we would expect for women who are about to go through chemotherapy. That's what our data said. So they dropped, but not quite as much as the women who had received the actual energy healing. And of course, the weightless control group didn't change at all. But what was fascinating to me 
was that we saw an improvement in the rhythms of cortisol for our fatigued breast cancer survivors who got the energy healing. And that we did not see, in, in fact, it was statistically significantly different from the women who received the mock healing and the weightless control group. They just didn't show that effect. Mm-hmm. So as a scientist, you know, that's kind of big news. And I was thinking there's got to be, maybe there's something else that explains this. I put in body mass index. I put in chemotherapy status. You know, what, what else could be explaining these results? I could not explain away this effect on physiology. And we're seeing that reverberated now in other studies. Dr. Susan Lukendorf at the University of Iowa did a randomized control trial looking at healing touch and relaxation for cervical cancer patients who were going through chemo radiation. So they're actively going through chemo radiation. It was a three-armed RCT, usual care, relaxation, and healing touch. And she found that the women receiving healing touch not only showed a reduction in depression while they were getting chemo radiation, but their natural killer cell activity was maintained. That is, it didn't go down during chemo radiation as it usually does, and as it did for the relaxation and the usual care group. So again, some immune shifts that were really unique to the energy work. Fast forward to now, and I detail a lot of this in my book too, down to the protein kinase levels for anyone who's interested in this, because there's some really fascinating patterns that we're seeing in the data now. Lorenza Cohen, who is the chief of integrative medicine research at MD Anderson Cancer Center, very well-seasoned psychoneuroimmunology researcher, again, you know, received multi-million dollar grants for his work in integrative health with cancer, has been doing these fabulously well-controlled studies looking at the effects of emitted bioenergy in mouse models of cancer. Mm-hmm. He's already published two studies. We actually have a webinar where I've interviewed him on the Consciousness and Healing Initiatives webinar page, which that's freely accessible. If you go to webinarsonhealing.com, you can hear Lorenzo talk about his work. You know, it's, uh, it's amazing. In a nutshell, details are in the book. He found in the first study that this emitted bioenergy had effects in reducing tumors in these mouse models of cancer all the way down to cell subsets and cytokine levels and protein kinase levels. He then, as any good scientist would, did a replication and extension study. This time, they didn't see effects on the reduction of the tumor. They saw reductions in tumor metastasis, or that is the growth of cancer spread throughout the body, but they saw the same shifts in the same inflammatory cytokines, cell subsets, and protein kinase levels. So this is not random. Mm -hmm. Energy is having an effect all the way down through the skin into the cells, affecting signaling molecules in the body. And honestly, we don't understand it at all. <laughs> We're just starting to put the pieces together. You know? and, and one of the million dollar questions is, of course, what's the mechanism? This is, this is what we hear from the NIH and the DOD and other folks when we try to get funding for these larger studies. They say, well, we don't understand what the plausible mechanism is of this. So we don't think we could study it, which to me makes no sense. Because we're seeing these amazing clinical effects and we look to benefits versus harms ratio in medicine to decide what we study and how we study it and what we actually integrate into the clinical setting. That's how we do it, right? Benefits to harm ratio. But everyone's really stuck on mechanism. So the million dollar question for a lot of people is how? (laughs) How does this happen? And Jim has, of course, put forth some theories. I've summarized some of his and, and thrown in some of my own and, you know, we can go down that rabbit hole if you want, Christine. You know, I don't know if you're, if you're, if your readers are interested in that. But at, for me, the million dollar question is, even if we don't know the mechanisms, which 
Honestly, we don't even for drugs. That's why we have so many off-label uses for drugs. We think we know. And, you know, the truth is the body is pleiotropic, right? Cytokines are pleiotropic. Pleiotropic meaning multiple effects. It depends on context. Even the function of a cytokine depends on, you know, the cellular milieu, right? So this idea that you would have a singular mechanism for anything is honestly a fallacy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the idea that we have to deduce one singular molecular pathway for energy medicine makes no sense <laughs> in my view. It mm-hmm. makes absolutely no sense. So I, have, I explicate a lot of this in, in my book too. Yeah, no, so well said. And I agree. I mean, as you're talking um, and they're hanging their hat on mechanism, you know, there's so many drugs, right, that have a therapeutic effect and we really scratch our head and ask why, you know, and I think you know, there's so many paradigms that need to shift, right, in our thinking, especially as you, you know, write about the future of health. And I think that as scientists, many people want to hang their hat, right, on this singular focus, this mechanistic approach. But, you know, I think the future is looking at all of these factors. And I, I'm a big believer in terrain theory and, you know, looking at the environment and the environment really shapes us and a reaction to our environment. I think it's amazing that you're able to even have this conversation within mainstream, which is awesome. And I was going to say, how is it received? Are they just, you know, because of the effect? I mean, I would think that they would just, hey, we don't know why it works, but let's just do this and, you know, continue to figure out. I'm not (laughs) not sure if they're there yet, but that's what I would like to see. Yeah, I think we would all like to see that. Mm. So there's a hesitation. There's still a hesitation. It's very interesting. And it's all, you know, from my perspective, I see it as it's just sort of a cultural clash. Mm Mm-hmm. Because again, if we look at the origins of many of these practices, they all came from spiritual traditions across the world, indigenous traditions, you know, as we describe them, indigenous traditions, certainly, you know, in what some people may not consider indigenous traditions, but, you know, in some ways are like Christianity, right? So they're, they're, and as you know, as a naturopath, the understanding of the biofield actually underlies much of how we understand whole systems medicine approaches across the globe. But it is a cosmological clash because for the last, we have to take a longer and wider view here because if we just sort of focus in on when we started focusing on things like pathogenesis and really emphasizing pathogenesis and materialism in medicine, the physical body you know, ignoring the emotional self, which we had done for many years, and we're just finally starting to orient toward the emotional self and the power of emotions in our physiological functioning and our health, mm-hmm. right? We're just getting there. Mm-hmm. Well, the ancients understood this interconnection of all things for millennia, and it included our harmony and relationship with the earth, because ultimately healing is just a return to harmony, right? Which is on the largest level, harmony between all things, not just within us, but between us. So it's a cosmological clash. And so when we start talking about these things, it's interesting because because Western medicine is informed by sort of a Western perspective, mm-hmm. it's still sort of seen as foreign. Like I'll give you an example at the University of Arizona when I was there for a time, I had a older white male researcher, a well-known, well-known professor tell me that Ayurveda and things like energy medicine were just primitive medicine. So right there, you're seeing that the issue is a cultural one, right? The issue is what I, I was very incensed after that comment. And I wanted to go and write a whole essay on monocultural ethnocentrism (laughs) medicine, you know, this was like 15 years ago or whatever. 
We, but you know, it's interesting because now those conversations are actually opening up. So I think people are more aware now of saying, oh, let's look at the cultural worldviews and how they're informing the way we view the world, the way we view ourselves, the way we view our power, the way we view our healing. Mm-hmm. And mainstreaming the conversation has not been easy. I'll be honest. Mm-hmm. It's still not easy. It's really, we're still working on it. Mm-hmm. What's lovely though, I will say is that the community building that we do at the Consciousness and Healing Initiative is helping to make this possible. So part of it, as I'm sort of watching what's happening in my world with the Consciousness and Healing Initiative, we have healing practitioner councils that gather to talk about their work, to learn from each other and explore how do we communicate this work around the biofield. Our scientific advisory council, same thing. We share what we're learning in the science with each other, advise on projects, and then also share some of our struggles. And Lorenzo, for example, has shared the struggle well. Nobody knows about these studies. In my view, he should be on NPR. You know, he should be discussing this work, but there's still a hesitation. Mm-hmm. As a psychologist, I'm a clinical psychologist. It's interesting for me to observe that and say, what are we afraid of? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What are we afraid of? What does it mean for us if we embrace these findings on the biofield? What does it mean in terms of our own personal and collective responsibility? to create a better world. I just sit as I listen, I go, this is so clearly the answer to move forward and move ahead and to, you know, change the paradigm that I feel so needs to be changed. And as you talk, I think it's really, I think in our culture, you know, in America, as we're talking, I feel like there's still this really strong divide between science and spirituality, especially when you get into the, you know, the office setting, you know, and I think there's probably not to make assumptions, but, you know, probably the, you know, oncologist, you know, or the, you know, the um, very well-renowned doctors, you know, if they were told that they could lay their hands on their patient and their patient would actually improve the outcome of everything that they do, that's still such a leap for them, right? But I think that that, from my perspective, would be just rewarding and kind of return the heart of medicine that has most often been lost. I mean, a lot of these doctors are frustrated, right? They are frustrated. They are in these systems of, you know, frustration for, we'll just keep it there for so many levels. And so I agree. I think that, you know, why aren't we doing this? And I think we can continue to question that. But what we see, like grassroots, like I see patients who have been to all those clinics, to been to the Mayo Clinic, to the Cleveland Clinic, to, you know, wherever, and not that those places aren't, you know, of course, they're, they're valuable, but for the the needs of the patients today that show up in my office who've been struggling with these chronic illnesses, their healing happens when they acknowledge these parts of themselves, when they invite these healing modalities into their world, um, when they practice them. And they also see this broader kind of context of their healing is completely a microcosm of the macrocosm of what the healing that needs to happen on the planet. And I think that is, you know, we'd love for it to come top down, but I feel like it's coming, <laughs> come, you know, ground up. And again, in awe of um, scientists like yourself who are bringing this message forth. But I feel too, Shamini, I know this is not to get controversial, but I feel like, you know, this time we're in, I think there's such an opportunity, right? There's such an opportunity for people to feel empowered. Everybody's thinking about their health right now, right? You know, whether, you know, wherever people stand, it's, you know, how your health, the, fa- the health of your family is, you know, really top of mind. And so how empowering could it be if we share these principles and practices along whatever other medical decisions people want to make? But I think there's just such a huge opportunity for people to shift out of this 
complete paralyzation and fear mindset and to be empowered with these tools. And that's what I'd love to see, you know, happen uh, during this time. And I, I feel that way so strongly. I'm so in resonance with you on this. And I do, I would like to give a shout out actually to all of the first responders and all of the medical professionals. My experience with the medical professionals, the doctors, is that they're very, actually, they're very open to this. They need to understand that there's evidence. So that's why, you know, the Consciousness and Healing Initiative exists. We have beautiful reports. I mean, if anyone's interested, you can go to reportonhealing.com. We have a beautiful, deep summary of the field, including, you know, some of the most amazing research, where we truly are. It also sort of takes an unbiased view. Like, where are we really with this? How many healing practitioners are there? What's the promise of this field? Uh, we have longer reports, which are like 80 pages, which I know most people don't have time for. We also have a 12-page summary. We have a roadmap for systems change, which is outlined exactly what we need to do to bring these healing therapies into healthcare and into self-care. And so our nonprofit is working really hard at moving what we call those transformational points. Some people like to call them levers of change, right? To integrate these more. And what I will say is the doctors that I've talked to, I think are very open to this as long as they understand it. Mm -hmm. And as long as they know that there's an evidence base, because nobody wants to recommend something to their patient that they think is going to either harm them or not help them. But when they learn about this, when we socialize it, as you say, and it's happening more from the ground up than the top down, that's how it is happening. And it is happening. Mm -hmm. I find that there's such an openness to this and they may just wave their hands up and say, I don't understand this at all, but I don't think it's going to hurt you. So go ahead and give it a try. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's great. I mean, that's progress, right? If we can just even start there and give people permission you know, there. And I think the, you know, the work that you're doing and your organization and your book are paving the way, right? To give people more awareness and that comfort level, right? To go outside of the box more and more, which, um, you know, hopefully this will be within the box, you know, during our lifetime and our careers, right? Box. That would be, there's no box. We've created it. It doesn't even exist, actually. We're in the field, right? You know? We're in the field. You know? Yeah. We ourselves with any box, really. Um, yeah, no, I love that. Well, I want to, you know, touch on a few more things before we wrap up. Um, you have this amazing book that you just launched. It will be out by the time this airs. And you talk about this aspect called the healing keys, um, which are practices that you've come to know and learn. Can you just share a little bit about what the healing keys are? Yeah, that'd be great. Because ultimately, all of this comes down to our practice. And what's so beautiful is that we actually don't have to go see a healer or anyone to ignite our healing and facilitate our wholeness through these healing keys. So these are things that I have synthesized in my work with Reverend Rosalind Bruyere, who has been my healing teacher for many years, as well as my background and tradition in East Indian spiritual wisdom and clinical psychology. So we really weave these things together for the healing keys. And they're really the nuggets that I believe if we just engage on these on a regular basis, they actually begin to be naturally integrated into us. So the first is grounding. And grounding is really coming into our bodies and connecting with the earth. It's very simple. And this is, you know, I talked about grounding mats. You don't have to buy a grounding mat, actually. Grounding practices have been taught in traditions like Tai Chi, Qigong, and even yoga for many, many hundreds, thousands of years. So there are many ways to ground. I give some some opportunities for that. And I also have some meditations and free audio meditations and things like that on grounding. But that's the first, getting into our bodies, harmonizing with the earth, 
opening our field to, as we could say, the biggest aura wins, the biggest aura is the earth. So we're going to connect with that big aura and make sure that we're really feeling in our bodies and even inviting spirit into our bodies. So that's the first step. The second is to flow with our emotional energy and to ignite our creativity. Those are both related to what we call the second chakra. Of course, grounding is very related to the first chakra. And there's a beauty in this. These things are actually linked from my perspective because yes, we have emotions and emotions are beautiful. As long as we don't try to push them away, shove them or get so caught up in them that we can't see anything else. So learning how to breathe through our emotions, recognize them, see them as our teacher and work with them on the bioenergetic level can be really, really helpful for our healing. And as we do that, we start learning that emotions really are like the ripples on a lake. And we can choose to be in the ripple or the giant wave, or we can choose to be in the stillness of the lake. And what I've noticed is when we can tap into the stillness of the lake, we'll often see a larger energy kind of come through us, which is the creative force, the creative energy, which is very, very healing. So expressing our creativity and authenticity through the creative response is a wonderful way to help heal ourselves and provide wholeness. And there's data in all of this. I, you know, the book has over 700 references because I am a data nerd, <laughs> but I give really practical exercises in the healing keys on how we can ignite our creativity and flow with our emotions. Then the next step is really about connection connecting all the way on the bioenergetic and spiritual level, connecting with guidance, opening to our support system, and have some wonderful meditations for us to do that. Also things, you know, around how do we harmonize relationships? I think if anything, the COVID and, you know, kind of being sheltered at home the way some of us were or being away from family we loved or being with family we love, but now we're in close quarters. You know, a lot of different things came up with relationships. So there's some tips on here on how to work with our hearts to harmonize our relationships because that is very healing in and of itself. But also opening the heart to support on the spiritual and physical level is really key for our healing. And then the final step, which I think all of us are really, <laughs> we're being taught a lesson in this final step right now is surrender because we can do all of these wonderful things. You know, we can also harness our intentions. I talk about that too in the healing keys. We can have really strong intentions for our healings. We can know our healing desire. We can ask for support, but ultimately we have to let it go because we're not in control. So once we surrender that to spirit, we surrender it to what we call our higher self, God, consciousness, the one, nature, however we experience that, which is beyond our conditioned mind. Once we give that up and allow it to be released, then we start to really see, you know, the healing magic mm -hmm. weave its way. And I know you know this, you know, as a clinician very well. So mm -hmm. yeah, no, that's beautiful. And um very um you know, of course, you know, right on, you know, that as I've, you know, studied this work and your work and um, you know, really had a, you know, as you're talking, I'm thinking, Oh my goodness, I want all of my patients to, you know, develop these practices that they do on a regular basis in relation to your framework of the healing keys. And I think the surrender thing is a really big one. And as you're saying this, you know, of course, we run up against these edges in our life and, you know, where we all want to feel empowered and in control. And how do we harness the uncertainty and how do we put our vision forward and create? Um, but I've noticed in my life, um, especially you know, you'll have these strong visions and these strong intentions, but when you get to that point of completely surrendering and not being attached, that's when, you know, things start to flow. And so I think what energetic hygiene can you do so that you're in coherence, in resonance, in sync with that, that is for your highest good, but 
being open to knowing that a greater intelligence might not might know what's for your highest good more than you, <laughs> you know, and that that's the dance I'm always trying to work or walk in my own life as well. So no, I, I think this is really beautifully shared Shamini. Well, as you know, again, um, I hope this is the beginning of many conversations that you and I continue to have. But as we wrap up, of course, I want you to share where you can find your book, but anything else to share when we think of bringing biofield science into the current paradigm of health and the future of health, anything else on your mind or your heart that you'd like to share? I'm thinking about something you said earlier in the hour that, you know, we have this sense of Wi-Fi and, you know, electromagnetism and things like that. My colleague, Dr. Richard Hammerschlag, who is our scientific director for the Consciousness and Healing Initiative, is fond of saying, you know, in the old days, because he's 82. He said in the old days, you know, we had hi-fi and then we had Wi-Fi and now we have the bi-fi. So the bi-fi is something that we are actually connected with all the time. We just have to bring awareness to it, you know, and he's fond of saying, and I would say the same, you know, in in reverence to him and and also just channeling him a little bit, may the bi-fi be with you. (laughs) It's always with you. That's the beautiful thing. And all you have to do is tap into it for your healing and for your connection. And during this time of pandemic, I, I think it's uh, it's such a gift for us to open ourselves to the Wi-Fi. Yeah, in the book, you can go to healingourselvesbook.com. So that's all one word, healingourselvesbook.com. And uh, I encourage people also to go to our nonprofit's website, That's called the Consciousness and Healing Initiative. The URL is really easy. It's just www.chi or chi for Consciousness and Healing Initiative dot is chi.is. We have monthly webinars for free. Ask me anything sessions, healing circles. We share the latest science that's happening. It's really a wonderful community for folks to plug into. So love for people to join us there. Thank you. And I'm going to be using that term today. Um, I'm going to try to use Bi-Fi. I love that. <laughs> I love that. And we'll have, um, and I'll, we'll have all of the links to all of your amazing work and congratulations on your book. I know that was an incredible effort and thank you for putting that knowledge in one place and sharing that with the world. And I've been on your email list and I just love what your organization is doing. So thank you for creating that community because I think that's really the way that we change medicine together. And so thank you for doing that. And it's just been a lovely conversation and thank you for being on the podcast. Yeah, thank you. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the Spectrum of Health podcast. I hope you enjoyed my conversation today with Dr. Shamini Jane. Please check out her new book, Healing Ourselves, Biofield Science and the Future of Health, as well as her website, all of which are in the show notes. And if you've been enjoying these podcasts, I would be so grateful if you would leave a review on iTunes. Thank you and have a beautiful day.